Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. Here's to a great beginning of the school year. I hope it goes smoothly for everyone under what I know are really challenging conditions. So now on to our show. For my second segment, Office Hours, I'll be joined by College Coach veteran Ken and Dick to discuss what supplemental essays are and how to find them. For my third, Mary Sue Yoon, another college coach veteran, will be talking about setting goals for high school juniors. And Mary Sue has a high school senior at home, so she knows from personal as well as professional experience. But first, I'll be joined by Alex Bickford, college coach finance consultant, to discuss COVID-19 impacts on paying for college. Hello, Alex. Hi, Sally. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing? Good. You got all the long standard people with uh, That's college coaching. Right. That's right. Like last couple of times I was on here, we had some guest experts, but you know what? I think our in company experts are pretty darn good as well. So um, even you, Alex. Even, you. <laughs> even me. <laughs> all right. So let's get going. All right. So one of the questions that I have is how do I adjust my loan funding? because I'm no longer paying for room and board. Should I cancel a loan or have them keep the refund on the account to pay for spring term? Sure, so that's, that's a great question. And for a lot of families right now, uh, costs are being adjusted, whether they're uh, not living on campus and they're living in an off-campus apartment, uh, or they could be just living at home, uh, or they could be, uh, they, they, some, some are actually living on campus but don't, don't have a meal plan or have an adjusted meal plan. So there's a lot of changes of costs that are going on right now. So the first thing that you wanna do is really get a good understanding for what the costs are for the semester and then try, if you can, to project out for the year. So are they saying you're going to come back on campus for the spring? Uh, are they saying that the meal plan is going to be back for the spring? Or, or are they saying you're going to be remote all year? If you can try to get a good understanding for that so you can plan for the full year, that would be kind of step one. And if you can't plan for the full year, then, okay, let's focus on this, this semester. Uh, if it was federal student loans, it's going to cause you to have an overage on your account. If you know you're going to need those funds uh, or, or could use those funds instead of a private student loan for second semester, I think that's perfectly okay to have the loan come hit your account uh, and keep that on until spring uh, or have it adjusted so it all hits in spring. The great news about federal student loans right now is that until December 31st, at least until December 31st, there's no interest on federal student loans. Uh, so that would be you know, a pretty uh, cheap way if you're looking to avoid private student loans for next semester uh, to, have, uh, to have that kind of extra balance there. Now, if it's a private student loan, you don't want those funds to hit. Uh, if it's gonna create an overage on your account, you wanna wait to have those funds hit until you need those funds to hit. Mm -hmm. uh, because private student loans are gonna start interest right away and there's no reason to spend more money than you need to. Mm -hmm. All right, great. So what about, so a big stressor, and I actually keep getting questions about this on the admissions side of things, and and um, and I, I'm not really sure what to say is, you know, how do you get scholarships without test scores? I mean, there are a lot of scholarships that require yeah. test scores. And I'm like, I don't know, try and take the test. But the fact is, we just don't know. Right. I mean, another round just got canceled. Right. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so it's, it's really difficult, uh, especially at a, a lot of larger public universities still have on their websites listed out this test score plus this GPA plus this class mm -hmm. rank equals this scholarship. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of students, they're really, really stressed about that and saying, well, if I could just get that third requirement, I know I get that scholarship. And so what am I going to do if I can't get that? Uh, the first thing I'd say is, I know it's difficult and I know it's challenging, but relax. Mm -hmm. uh, because guess what? There aren't many kids who have tests. Uh, and so you're going to be in the same boat as probably most everybody else. Uh, so you probably won't be at a big disadvantage if you don't have a test. If you can get one and you think you're going to do well, 
great. I think that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can do one safely uh, and you think you're going to do well, I think that's great. What, we, what we're thinking a lot of colleges are going to do, and same probably what you think on, on the academic side, Sally, is that mm -hmm. this is what we think is going to happen, but we're mm -hmm. not totally sure. We think that they're going to replace that with uh, a bigger emphasis on class rank, uh, on a bigger emphasis on the rigor of your uh, high school record, uh, a bigger emphasis on your GPA, maybe, or maybe even go as far back as taking a PSAT score or a practice test. You know, we're just not really sure at this point what they're exactly going to do, um, but you're going to be in the same boat as everybody else. So. Mm -hmm. Don't stress too terribly about much about it, about saying, you know, I've got to drive five hours because I think a testing center might be open then. Mm -hmm. uh, no, don't don't go crazy. Uh, if you can get a test safely and you're going to do well, excellent. Uh, but if you can't, you're going to be in the same boat as everybody else. Is that what you're seeing on the academic side? Yeah, I mean, I really think the focus is going to be more on the transcript. Um, I think the other piece of advice I would say is that if this is a state system issue, like I personally think the college admission yeah. offices are going to come around to it, but they are like University of Florida. It's not up to them. It's up to like they have like a regions sure. board. I think the same thing with with Georgia. Like it's not. So write your congressperson. I mean, I'm completely serious. Right about that like they you know they're like this is how we've done things and this it's like um you know there's a worldwide pandemic things are right now so and, and, I, and I do think that's one of the bigger challenges there is that when it's not up to the colleges like uh, mm -hmm. the Florida Bright Future Scholarship uh, right. is one of them where it says you have to have this ACT or this SAT. And they do say, in, in this is just in Florida and there are other states that have similar scholarship programs, but they do say uh, for Florida Bright Futures that you can get a test as late as June of your senior year. So, you know, oh, okay. right up to the right. point where, where you've graduated. So, you know, they might say, okay, we're going to keep that. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, come June, could they adjust it? Maybe. Uh, but I think that is the biggest problem is that when it requires an act, a literal act of Congress <laughs> to get yeah. it changed, it's yeah. going to be challenging. <laughs> right, right. And even with that, it's like, in the meantime, families can't plan. Right. You right. Can't. And there's all this stress on the, the, the poor student to like pull off this score in June when they're trying to graduate. I don't know. It, Absolutely. It's, I think I, I'm just going to go on record, and I'm, this is my personal view. This is not <laughs> college coaches' view, and say Florida and Georgia need to get their act together on this. And there might be other states too. It's just it's not the right way to deal with things at this point. Um, I could see them holding out until December. That seems sure. more reasonable. But past a certain point, come on. Um, all right, editorial over. Um, <laughs> Okay, so what to do if the 2020 income is less than 2019, uh, which we know has happened to a lot of people. So how are schools going to consider someone's increased need if they're a returning student versus a first year? Sure. And that's that's a big challenge. Uh, and that's that's a challenge, obviously, for families. Uh, it's a challenge for schools to, to determine how they're going to be able to handle this. Uh, the first thing that I'll say is that, to be far, quite frank, a lot of schools are nervous right now about funding in general. Uh, they have students who uh, are maybe they're just not living on campus, and that's a decreased revenue source. Uh, some of them are have adjusted pricing models altogether, and that's a decreased revenue source. So I think that's uh, that's something that'll be interesting to see. The the first thing that I would say is that when you are applying to school, whether it be as a first year uh, student or you are already in school and returning for your sophomore, junior, or senior year, when you know there's been a change in financial circumstance, you should let the school know. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, you should let them know early on. Um, and this is a little bit different than maybe we would have uh, said in years past. In years past, we've told maybe returning students, you can wait until the summertime and, and talk to your school. Uh, but at this point, we're really concerned that schools will have a certain amount of funding set aside for these special circumstances. Uh, and we want to make sure folks are at the beginning end of it. Uh, mm -hmm. So I would say contact them early, do that professional judgment form, lay out the change of financial circumstance, 
And remember, colleges have their discretion to say, well, okay, did you get uh, COVID unemployment money? Um, mm -hmm. And did that make up for a lot of your salary? So what is what is the real impact here financially for you? Uh, they, they're going to assess things like that. Uh, they're going to assess things like uh, maybe we're going to wait until January uh, and see whether you've got a job back after all the unemployment money has run out. And so there's going to be different circumstances that, that colleges are doing. It's going to be from a college to college basis. The biggest piece of advice is hit them early, let them know what's going on, keeping communication with them. Uh, so just be that bug in their ear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely. All right. Should my freshman consider moving to a local public or community college if their college goes remote? And if they go remote, will they discount tuition? Uh, let's answer the second part first, <laughs> and then we'll go to the first part. Mm -hmm. uh, the second part is we have seen across the board, it a big old depends. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we certainly, you know, obviously, if you're not living on campus, uh, it's going to be very difficult for the college to justify charging you room and board, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, as far as tuition goes, colleges still have costs. They still have to maintain these buildings. Mm -hmm. They still have to uh, pay staff members and pay professors and things of that nature. So their costs aren't being adjusted tremendously from a tuition standpoint, mm -hmm. providing you the education. In fact, the infrastructure that they might have to have invested in as far as online learning and remote models actually is quite expensive. Um, so that would be a challenge that I would say to begin with is that from a tuition standpoint, we have not seen why spread colleges saying we're going to cut by x some colleges have some colleges have not uh, so that's going to be a big old it depends mm -hmm. as far as whether your child should move to an online only school or move to a local community college um, the first thing i'd say is well the colleges that have gotten into are they uh, allowing you to do that for a year and still mm -hmm. go back to that school next year because if that school is guaranteeing, okay, you can walk in as a sophomore and everything's going to continue and everything's going to be dandy, there's certainly you could see some value in paying less. But there are a lot of colleges that are saying, we can defer you, but you can't take classes anywhere else. And you've probably seen right. this, Sally, as well. And so that's going to be a challenge in saying, okay, so this year is kind of wasted uh, from that standpoint. So uh, what I'll say is that, uh, that there's no good answer there. You need to look at your child's school, look at how important the value of that education is. Um, mm -hmm. and, and if they're going to allow them to transfer some credit in, you know, that could be an argument to be made. Otherwise, you've got to understand what the ramifications may be, which means you may have to apply as a sophomore transfer student. Uh, and that process is diff different than applying mm -hmm. as a freshman. Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the things to think about that, you know, even better than I do, Alex, is that merit scholarships might be lower. Absolutely. I mean, I, I worked at um, I, I worked at um, two schools with merit scholarships out of the three, University of Chicago and um, Whittier College. In both cases, what was available to first year students for merit scholarships was so far away and above better than sure. what transfers got. Now, I think if a transfer had spent two years at a community college, that was enough of a savings to kind of offset. Right. But one year, I, I don't I don't know that it was enough, you know, right. so, yeah. And with costs being so much higher than they were, uh, however long ago that was, Sally, uh, you know, that's, that's a big, big difference. Mm -hmm. And then additionally, uh, it, we don't know what's going to happen with transfer applicants. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, are, are these colleges going to have enough students because they're trying to fill a sophomore and a freshman class all at the same time with a whole bunch of students coming in? You know, mm -hmm. are they going to have enough students to say, we don't need transfers? Uh, mm -hmm. And so we're certainly not going to pay for transfers to come. Mm -hmm. and, it's just such an uncertain time that I would say you've got to know and be prepared and be okay with the uncertainty uh, if you're going to go ahead and take that chance. Right. I mean, and I think, you know, sort of, well, another like leg legitimate thing that I think we want to think about too, is that community colleges, you know, I've been hearing that question a lot. So there are some States where community colleges are already significantly overcrowded. Right. And you may run into even more of that. You may really not be able to get the courses um, that you're hoping to get. Right. And then it's kind of like, what are the options that your student has? So then they're um, scrambling, right? Yeah. They're scrambling to say, what am I going to do to fill my time for this year? Can I even work? You know, is, right. there, is there a lot of things that I can do that, that add value to my life over this next year? Mm -hmm. Or am I just saying this is a lost year? Right. And those are legit, like some students might have legitimate things sure. to do over the year. I mean, 
I think, you know, I think there's probably still like a lot of environmental work that can be done, you know, but, but think carefully and realize that I don't know that all colleges are going to nail it, are going to really nail the distance education thing well, but some of them have it figured out. I mean, I, you know, talked a couple of weeks ago to Dr. LeBlanc and he talked about how at their school, they really like know how to do distance education. They can make sure there's a lot of value. So there can be true value to distance education. I mean, I personally think on campus is better. Like I want to be very clear about that, but it's it's not um, distanced. It's is not going to not provide value. I want to be right. really clear about that. I mean, a right. well structured distance education, you're still getting access to top flight faculty. You're still collaborating Absolutely. with other students. Yeah, so. right. And, and, and there are a lot of colleges that have been doing this for a long time and do it really really well uh, mm-hmm. from the pure educational aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, the other things you learn on campus and dealing with roommates and learning conflict and things like that, those mm-hmm. things might have to wait a year. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. But at least, you know, they will still be there in sure. a year. So I think yep. that's the good thing. So just think carefully before you decide, I'm just going to go to the community college. Uh, again, nothing against community colleges, but you want to make a decision towards a community college and not away from the option that you already had. Right. Ha, okay. ha, know the answer to the questions before you make a decision. Uh, get get from your four-year school what those answers are going to be mm-hmm. before you withdraw from the four-year mm-hmm. school. Have your spot at the community college set up and in place before mm-hmm. you withdraw. So, right, take all those steps, ask all the right questions before you make any uh, decisions that might impact your next year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. So thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sally. It It was great talking to you. All right. We're going to be taking a short break and then Ken and Dick and I will be discussing supplemental essays. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Kenan. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Sally. Great. All right. So we are here today to talk about supplemental essays, how to find them. Um, so let's let's start with why these are important. I mean, I it, it's kind of funny because I, I talked to um, the father of a student today who's planning on applying to, as far as I can tell, every one of the Ivies, places <laughs> like MIT. So and then he was nonetheless shocked that every school that he was applying to, literally every school, mm-hmm. was going to have at least one supplemental essay. He's like, and I said, you know, this is why 30 applications is a bad idea. He's like, right. oh, <laughs> you're going to take time? I said, yes, yes, I think they are. So let's talk about, I mean, I think he thought if there was an essay, it wasn't going to be a big deal. So mm-hmm. let's start with like, why are these important? Why are these, why is it not just about the common application essay itself? What are your thoughts on that, Kenan? Well, I think um, primarily they're important because it's your opportunity to speak directly to them, right? To uh, to give them an indication of how much you're looking forward to um, attending as a student um, at their school. And so, since common application is is general, right? That um, you know the the essays are going to be sent to every school, and so this is your one opportunity to personalize it for that 
that university. So I think it's it's important from uh, from that perspective. I also think it's important from the um, the school's perspective that they see a sense of your commitment uh, through the quality of that essay to their school, right? And so, you know, when you're reading some of these, um, you know, why this college essays and things of that nature, you can get a sense for whether or not the kind of the student has dialed it in a little bit. Um, And, you know, if you feel like, you know, when I was reading for Swarthmore College, if I felt like they just didn't really understand us or there was very little detail in the um, in the essay, you just got to, you wondered whether or not they were fully committed to your school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think it's, it's that opportunity for you to, to really be uh, specific. That's most important. And from their perspective, again, it's, you know, it's also about yield, right? They want to be admitting the students who they think are most likely going to come. And, and that's another way of, of kind of looking at this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to emphasize when I worked at Chicago that, it, you know, those kind of smaller, Stuff like the Why Chicago essay was incredibly important because a school like Chicago also is very, you know, it's a really intellectual place. We wanted to, like you said, to make sure that people understood us. So, um, so yeah, spend time on this, dig into, you know, the website. And actually, I'm kind of getting into like um, the rest of the things that we want to talk about today. So let let let's do talk about the specific kinds of essays. I mean, I really think the most common one is why, you know, why do you want to attend Chicago or why do you want to attend Swarthmore? And then there are even kind of subtle variations on those. So let's, why don't we dig into um, some of those and sort of what, what are colleges looking for a little more in those? Yeah, I think, um, you know, some of the others that, that often will come up um, is, you know, tell us about a significant activity that you've done, right? So, you know, places like Vanderbilt will ask these types of questions and, I think it's, again, a, an opportunity for you to, beyond the scope of the essay, give a little bit more background as to what motivates you to be involved in some of these things that, um, that are involving a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's not necessarily about, you know, why uh, debate is, you know, um, is a main um, activity for you. It's more about what's the motivation behind it? What thrills you about, you know, being on that debate stage and, uh, and giving us that motivation so we can get a better feel for some of the things that might bind some of these things that you do together and, and have a better sense for why you're, you're um, spending your time in this way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the significant activity is a, is a popular one. Another one that's pretty popular is, you know, tell us about the community that you come from and, um, and more about that background. And for some students, it could be that they, they come from very diverse backgrounds or they come from abroad or that there may be um, kind of in terms of where they live, there can be some really unique um, aspects of that. I had a student um, who was asking about this uh, just the other day, and you know, she comes from a very rural setting. And you know, so power outages and you know, lack of internet and lack of water and things like that were part of her daily, weekly routine. And so, you know, so she decided that that's what she was going to to write about. So I think it just gives you um, another opportunity to tell us more about you, the person, your circumstances, um, and what you connect to in terms of that that community. And I remember distinctly at at um, at Michigan, hearing the the admissions officer tell us about how one of his best ones uh, recently was just about the track team, and how that 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 community of people was really important to this particular student and how they really kind of um, coalesced together and really supported one another and shared in a way that he didn't um, have with other sports teams uh, that he was involved in. So that group of students just coalesced in a way um, that was unusual. And that's what he wrote about for his community essay, which which this AO, AO thought was was just really powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the community essays can be challenging because students feel like, well, I don't live in a community. And I'm like, I promise that you do. And I, <laughs> I, I promise. And, uh, and, you know, there's the high school community, there's the place that you live, there's the things that you're involved in. I mean, and, and yeah, if you use something that's not commonly necessarily understood as a community, like a track team or, you know, some other organization, you just need to explain why you know, what makes it a community? I'm sorry, I'm about to uh, lose power. That's, 
Yep, and that's that's exactly right. And I think that um, that when students approach this, I think that thinking about the idea of community more broadly helps them kind of think of, of some of these alternative options that may not be, um, you know, in the tightly defined community. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Another um, essay that comes up a lot is why this particular major? And sometimes it's actually yes. why this major at this college. So there's kind of an overlap that there. So what are your yeah. thoughts about that one? I tend to look at those as um, as almost always why this major at this college. <laughs> I think it's an opportunity for students to to say more about why um, the programming for that college or university fits their interests. Mm-hmm. And so there are some um, programs that are very broad in nature. Uh, sometimes, you know, with biology, uh, communications is another one. Um, even computer science to a certain degree. And so you may be able to uh, really zero in and say, the reason that I like um, the program here at um, College X is because uh, they have such a great uh, faculty that is involved in data security, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a research area that a lot of faculty are participating in. And I can get a lot lot of experience, great experience through uh, being a student there. So if you can make that connection, and you don't necessarily have to be as direct about it. Um, but if you say that I'm really into um, you know, data security and that's clearly a strength of theirs, then they can make that match on their own. They can understand that sense of match. But then going beyond that a little bit, you can um, add to why data security is something that you find really interesting, right? And again, show that motivational part and, and what captures you about that, um, that particular subject. Yeah, and I think that's really important because what I end up seeing a lot is that students will take this as an opportunity to say, I've taken AP Computer Science, I've done all these activities, and they just sort of list the activities. Mm -hmm. Instead, you can say, it's not that you can't bring up your AP Computer Science class, but you have to say, in AP Computer Science, I especially enjoyed blah, blah, blah. And you have a professor who does blah, 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 plus X, Y, Z. So... Connect it that way, but don't remember, they've got access to your transcript. They've got access to your activity list. They already see that stuff. Everything is read together. So yeah, connect it really explicitly to something that you've done, but don't regurgitate your resume. Um, And yeah, definitely do the research. I mean, I can't tell you, I don't know how often you see this, Kenan, but so often I see students that I'm like, research the school, research the school, and they come Mm -hmm. in and they're like, you, this school X has an excellent computer science department and they don't say anything else. (laughs) Exactly. When we were in committee, we would often talk about the thumb test. And the idea of the thumb test is if I can put my thumb over the word Swarthmore College and it'll fit for other schools, Mm -hmm. it's not specific enough, right? And sometimes you would you would do that and you say, yeah, this could fit for Haverford, this could fit for you know Penn, this could fit for a lot of other Quaker schools because that's the mm-hmm. only detail that you've mentioned so far. Um, and so you know it's just not specific enough to um, to really kind of dial that in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to be an expert, but you have to show that you've done some thinking about it and some research. So exactly. All right, and then there's some really unusual questions. Frankly, some of them kind of drive me nuts. Um, like I. <laughs> I do not know why University of Pennsylvania likes this question, and I'll read it to you. You have just finished your 300-page autobiography. Please submit page 217. I I mean, when students come to me with that question, I'm like, I don't know. This sounds like an essay I would hate to read. But you, Ken, and might have more experience with this. Uh, you know, not like I'm judgmental or anything. So any, what are your thoughts about like that question and maybe other questions like it? Yeah, I think that um, they are challenging. And I think that uh, for students, they often will get stuck in kind of a thought process where they're just so limited in how they're approaching these types of essays. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, for that type of question, I think what students need to do is take a step back and say, okay, you know, this is an opportunity for me to say more about what I want to say about me as a person and the things that I wasn't able to include in my main essay. So what are some of those things? It may be about your character. It may be about um, activities. It may be about your family life. It could be all sorts of different things that you want to include that you haven't had that chance yet. So this is one of those times where you can say, okay, I'm going to write this portion of my autobiography about my family life, right? And about the responsibilities that I have and talk about, you know, 
uh, all summer long, having to kind of herd cats and keep all of my siblings, you know, mm-hmm. entertained and, and things like that while my parents are working. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, those are the kinds of opportunities that you have. And if you just, again, if you take that step back and say, okay, how can I use this format to say the things that I want to say? Then I think that, um, you know, you'll be much more successful mm-hmm. and utilize that space in a more effective way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that works really well for the University of California essays too, which are not supplements, but kind of seem a little bit like supplements since they don't use the common application. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And so I shouldn't be so judgmental about unusual questions since I have uh, worked at the University of Chicago. Um, right. <laughs> which, and I know their questions really drive students nuts, but they always, but they give students choices. It can always be a variety of like, you can, you can take some that are a little more straightforward if you're not a super creative type. Um, so one of the examples was what is square one and can you actually go back to it? So I think I'll take a little bit of this one. With essays like this, they are absolutely open to a sense of humor. Like take your clue from the question itself. And this is, to me, is obviously a question that's saying like, try and be a little humorous, have a little fun with this. Frankly, take a risk. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I really enjoyed when I worked at Chicago is that, um, and I do wanna be clear that it's a new Dean now, but I really don't think that this piece has changed. When a student takes a big risk with a question like this, it's it's really always going to be rewarded, even if the essay itself kind of fails. If you took a risk, that's going to be acknowledged, and it's not mm-hmm. going to be held against you that you that it failed. And remember, they've still got your common up essay, they've got your Why Chicago. So there's all these other opportunities for you to kind of answer things pretty directly. So if you want to go a little wacky, like go for the humor, try something a little experimental probably not going to be held against you. And I mean, unless you do something offensive, obviously, right? <laughs> um, you know, you don't want to get that risky. Um, but like, take a risk in it. It's, you know, it's, it's probably going to be, if it works, it'll be a big reward. And if it doesn't work at worst case scenario, there's going to be a like, you know, good job trying, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that, um, that in those situations, at least, you know, that's been my experience is that you give students credit for trying, right? You know what you're, they're trying to do um, when they, when they took this approach. And so you can give them credit for if they didn't quite pull it off, then, you know, you can still give them credit for having done it. And I think that it's also an opportunity for students to, um, to show how well they think outside the box, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's part of the point of, of this type of essay is, you know, how, how how creative can you get with this and philosophical and different um, and still kind of use that intellectualism that you have, but at the same time, you know, be be different about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, you know, if you take those types of approaches, I think that it will re- certainly reward you. Yeah. Yeah. Do keep in mind the kind of school, too. Right. I mean, this is University of Chicago, highly intellectual. So an intellectual risk is always going to be good. Mm-hmm. Although I will tell you that when I was there, um, a student sent in like this whole humorous essay about an evil clown that wasn't particularly intellectual, but it was so <laughs> inventive. And I remember mm-hmm. I took it to the dean because I was like, this is pretty wacky, but I think it's cool. And mm-hmm. he looked at it and he's like, this is really brave too. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, exactly. Like it doesn't work a hundred percent, but like, look what he did. And uh, you know, this kid got in and and Chicago was a reach for him, but he had done something really interesting and different. Um, I do want to say again, though, that if that is not you, you can absolutely take a kind of a straighter, a question that allows for kind of a straighter approach. And that, and that really is fine too. Yeah, exactly. So, and the nice thing about Chicago is that you can go back to past prompts and choose from all of those, right? Mm-hmm. So you really have a lot of options there, which is great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of my favorite questions at Chicago was um, um, what just really actually was kind of a variation on the neighborhood question, like how did your neighborhood, you know, uh, and form you? Mm-hmm. You know, this was, I worked at Chicago ages ago. Um, and honestly, I saw some of the best answers there and they were very thoughtful. And so the students who picked that didn't tend to be the super hyper creative ones, but they could still do a really, really thoughtful essay out of it. And yep. um, so, yeah, do not hesitate. Um, all right. Well, thank you so very much, Canon. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right, so we're going to be taking a short break, but when we get back, Mary Sue Yoon and I will be discussing writing goals for juniors who are returning to school. Mm-hmm. 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Mary Sue. Um, by the way, before the break, I think I said um, this was going to be about writing goals. I mean, setting goals. We're setting goals for juniors. <laughs> so, um, all right. So speaking of, Mary Sue, when you are working with your juniors, and I know you work with plenty of juniors, and also um, I know that you just had a junior in your life, your daughter, yep. who is now a senior. So yep. what kinds of goals did you set for those, uh, you know, for the juniors that you're working with? Right. So, um, yes, I do have a daughter who's going through this process right now. So um, I'm definitely seeing everything from a new side as a parent. But um, I think for juniors, it's really a good time going into junior year to kind of reassess what their goals might be and kind of figure out um, what really they would like to to do in in their remaining two years of high school uh, that moves towards those goals. So first and foremost, academics are always important. The junior year is very important. Even with many of our students starting in a remote setting, those grades mm-hmm. are going to be important. And so, um, you know, making sure that you have solid classes in, in junior year and that you're doing really well academically is, is always first and foremost in the goals that I work with students through. Um, we then, you know, do talk about other types of goals as well, um, but I think the academics are really the, the first place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the junior year is not the year to take an easier curriculum. In fact, it's probably the year to take the toughest curriculum that you can handle, handle. Yep. and thrive in, not yep. be overwhelmed, but be challenged. That's that's the balance that you're trying to kind of fit. Um and obviously good grades, right? I mean, do you ever kind of um, strategize with students about how to handle a heavier than ever before curriculum? I mean, some students are obviously, there might be like this top 1% of students who can take, who are brilliant and can take the heaviest curriculum and get A's and it's fine. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of students, there's like a ramping up that has to take place for them. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I just kind of wonder if you ever strategize with them about that. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think we lay out, we try and lay out both the junior and the senior year um, curriculum. For some reason, I think there's this pervasive myth out there that um, student that yes, the junior year is important, but that that it's more important than senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that myth exists, but um, I have sometimes seen students who really want to load up with many, many, many APs, more than you know, really their first time taking a lot of APs, and they want to load up a ton in junior year and take a relatively light senior year. And that to me is not uh, the way to go. I think you want um, a balance of things that you can handle, as you mentioned. And so having a reasonable load that works for that particular student in junior year, and then continuing that rigor into senior year, um, Mm. to me makes a lot more sense. Uh, And, you know, I always try and find out kind of if there's particular areas where they might struggle how to best get through those classes um, with in balance with extracurricular activities and other things, you know, might mean being extra proactive about, um, you know, reading the summer assignments and getting really prepared for that class um, so that they're not feeling like they're behind when the class starts. So they're feeling like they're ready to go right mm-hmm. when that class starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also try and get students to promise that they'll go see the 
teacher very early if they're struggling, but this yeah. is not some, this is not a time to wait, you know? So, um, and also remember in the junior year, this is probably where your recommendations are coming from. Right. Like yeah. 90% of the time. I do talk to students about that. Um, I've just recently met with a few of my junior students and um, definitely said, okay, goals for junior year. One of the things you have to think about is the end of this year, you might be asking two of these teachers for letters of recommendation. Mm -hmm. And even more so that this is challenging in, in a remote world, you have to get to know these teachers and make sure that they know you so that they could write a full and thoughtful letter of recommendation for you. Um, and so, you know, thinking about that now, as opposed to suddenly finding out that information with a couple of weeks left in the school year, I think is a good strategy um, so that they can kind of set up, you know, who they feel like they connected with most throughout the year. And then they're not surprised, particularly for my students that are quieter and, you know, might have a tendency to kind of hang back. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of the time to say, yeah, you need to be actively involved. If you're having problems in a class, you need to reach out to that teacher. You need to raise your hand in class in whatever form that means. Um, but you need to make sure that the teacher is seeing you as an active participant. Mm -hmm. And actually that can be very helpful if a student is struggling. I mean, mm -hmm. I've, I had a student who really struggled in math and kind of fought her way back with a lot of work, working with like using the, the teacher as an ally yeah. and uh, ended up getting great comments from that teacher about how hard she'd worked on it and even ended up getting like a recommendation. You know, it was a B, she'd started with a D though. Right. And the teacher talked about how resilient she was, how willing she was to put in the extra work. So realize recommenders can come in a variety of places too. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. What about extracurriculars? How should they be thinking about that? So I say that, you know, junior year is really, you know, here we are midway through high school. And so it's a good time to kind of reassess your extracurricular activities and see which ones you really still love and enjoy and are working for you and are working with your schedule and which ones um, sometimes would be ones to kind of let go or to focus, to turn the focus a little bit more to the ones that are working for you. If a student's really looking at highly selective schools, I might also say, you know, where are the activities where you can have impact, where you might be a leader, where you might be gaining some recognition from that activity. And assessing that at this point, um, I think is a good thing because sometimes I think, particularly sometimes for our stronger students, they just kind of stay, you know, in the same track of like, oh, I've done this every other year, so why don't I always do this again? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's keeping on to activities that, you know, they don't really enjoy or they're not really um, getting that much out of at this point. So it's a good time to, to look at all your activities, say what's working um, and how might I have impact in those activities that are most meaningful to me in the coming years. I also do tend to have um, a, a, a fairly uh, honest conversation with students who maybe don't have anything that is any, at all related to academic or career goals at this point in their extracurricular profile. Um, and so, you know, I think thinking about if you wanna go into engineering, for example, do you have anything in your extracurricular profile that's showing that interest or showing that you've taken that a step further beyond the, beyond the classroom? Um, and if they don't, you know, there's still time in 11th and 12th grade to kind of pick up something along those lines. But I always talk about how the theme of an admissions application has to kind of fit together. And if it seems like your major is pulled out of left field and you've done nothing to explore it, then that can be a weakness in an application. Mm -hmm. So we definitely talk about, uh, you know, what what fits for, for those goals for extracurriculars. Mm -hmm. I always feel that's a little less important though for a student like me who was like history or political science or English, right. you know, but yeah, engineering, computer science, nursing, these kinds business. of things, business. Yeah, business. yeah very, very important. Um, communications, join the yearbook. Why, you know, come yeah. on. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I was a psych major, the general liberal arts folks among <laughs> us. Um, you know, I think that you can have a really broad uh, ranging extracurricular list. But, you know, for the students who are looking at a very focused pre-professional track for college, showing that that interest has started already in high school, I think is a good thing. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. All right. Anything else? I mean, I think there's those pesky SATs and ACTs, which let's yeah. face it, 
this year look like they're going to be, they've been even more challenging recently right. for the poor students. So what are your thoughts about that? Uh, so for the testing, um, I, I'm advising my juniors to kind of just hang back a little bit. Um, let the seniors get their test on this fall. If, the, if there will be testing, if there is testing for those seniors um, and, you know, don't feel rushed to get a, a test date in October or something when the testing is likely going to be fairly uh, booked, you know, in terms of seats. And so I'm advising students to kind of hang back a little and, you know, wait until a February or March test date um, for the junior class, um, which means that most of their preparation will be done in the winter. We should also have a little more clarity at that point as the weather some test centers are, are opening up again more broadly in the spring. And mm-hmm. frankly, we'll get some more sense from our admissions colleagues as to how this first round of test optional admissions is going. So I think, you know, certainly plan to take tests still if you are a class uh, 11th grader or younger, um, but um, but don't feel like it has to be done in the next three months. I would say more it's on kind of the six month plan and um, that they should start to prepare kind of in the winter for some spring testing. Mm-hmm. And so this doesn't apply to many students, but for the few that it does, SAT subject tests, I mean, a lot of schools Mm -hmm. have gone completely test blind. They won't even look at subject tests. A lot of the schools that used to recommend them have now gone to being truly test optional. They completely understand, at least for this year, why that's not going to happen. But what are you... I mean, it's kind of funny. I was talking to a student who's very interested in UPenn, had the profile, Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, and he was a, um, a junior this year, mm-hmm. right? So I thought, you know, plan on taking it just in case, but it may turn out that you don't need it. What are your thoughts on test optional for the, or SAT subject tests for those right. students? Yeah, I would say the same as, as what you did that, you know, you perhaps might need it. A lot of students don't take subject tests until the spring anyway, because that might be naturally when it's the end of that course. So if you're taking a U.S. history subject test, you would want to wait till the end of your U.S. history mm. class in uh, May or June to take that exam. So yes, there's a possibility that that small percentage of students might still have to take it if, if they feel like it would boost their application profile. Um, but they're probably not going to take it until later spring. And again, I would say right now, let's plan that you might have to take it, but again, wait till even later than the general test. I think it's even, it's, it has, the subject testing has become even less important now than Mm -hmm. the general testing. Mm -hmm. Um, And most schools, as you mentioned, are test optional or test blind, um, even for the subject testing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Or particularly for the subject testing, really. Yeah. Even if you send it in, they're not going to look, whereas most schools, not all, but, uh, but most schools will still look at an SAT or ACT Mm -hmm. if you send it in. Yeah. Um, all right. And what about researching potential majors or careers? Like what, what kinds of advice are you giving? I mean, I think already the extracurricular activities related to certain majors is already one way to do that. So let's kind of mm-hmm. dig into that a little more. Yeah. So in terms of researching colleges, so, um, you know, as you mentioned, it's been interesting going through this as a parent with my own daughter and having to pivot to instead of visiting colleges in person doing virtual visits and virtual um, meet and greets uh, and interviews and those kinds of things. And I actually think that the the benefit of that is sometimes you can more directly connect with someone in the admissions office than you might have at, um, you know, a big college fair that was attended by hundreds of people. So she has found some really nice uh, individual connections by attending some of those virtual sessions. So Whereas in a a typical year, I would probably advise my juniors, get out, go see some colleges. It's not really an option right now. So I would say that in a virtual way, get out, go visit some college websites. And it may lead students in some ways to an even more informed decision. I think that sometimes students, when they go to actually visit, physically visit a campus, they uh, get a lot of comments of, you know, what the tour guide was wearing or what the food was like. Um, and sort of forcing students to look at schools in this way might make them concentrate a little bit more on looking deeply at the academic um, profile, the academic um, pieces of the school, what the curriculum involves, what activities are on campus, 
which I actually think is overall a good thing um, to, you know, look more into academics and pieces. So, mm-hmm. um, but do attend some of those virtual open houses and events and try and find out some more about schools that way. And, you know, you can start your, your research spreadsheet now of schools that you visited or contacted. Um, and, you know, I think take it from there. And, um, and that's kind of a good way to start the research mm-hmm. process. And follow colleges on social media. Those can give yeah. opportunities to form relationships with current students, ask them questions, that kind of thing. If you if you don't have a social media account, you can set up a Twitter account just to follow colleges or Instagram or I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to do this on TikTok. So I'm sticking with the old, <laughs> I'm sticking with the old card. So um, all right. So I think that's it. Thank you so much, Mary Sue. Thanks for having me, Sally. All right. Thanks again to Alex Bickford and Kenan Dick of College Coach. And be sure to join us for our show next week. This show might be particularly interesting for international students as our colleague Sai Samboon will join our host, Beth Heaton, to discuss what it was like to to apply to college from overseas. Um, And then following up, Cara Cara Courtois, Notre Dame alumna, will join to discuss the Notre Dame supplemental essays. And remember, if you have questions about a particular topic, we may have already covered it. Um, So obviously you should listen to everything that we put out there, but if you wanna find a particular show, a particular topic um, on a particular show's broadcast date, you can please go to, um, you can go to our uh, blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. You'll be able to search there for particular blogs and getting in show summaries. And um, you can link to the shows there and the full archive is available to you. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.